Live from London, this is the Sunday Brunch with Graham Collin on Teachers Talk Radio. Yes, I have returned. Sorry for not being here last week, listeners, but this week we're in for a treat, I think. We're talking about core texts, the texts that children usually end up reading at some point in primary school. Are they any good? Could they be better? Might be a fairer way of framing the question. Are we doing the same old? Could it be new? Could it be fresher? Representation? We are live from London. This is the Sunday Brunch with Graham Collin on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Yes, we are coming for your core texts today, people. Um, The books that we're reading in schools, we're just questioning, could they be better? Could they perhaps be a little bit more wholesome, maybe a bit more challenging, maybe a bit more emotionally engaging than the same old, same old? Funnily, I was talking about one this morning to my wife, and she read that book when she was in school 25 years ago. And, um, you know, questions have to be asked. Is this the same world that it was 25 years ago? ago? Do Does the context of text change in 25 years? Or do we simply go, those books are great, don't ever change them, all children should always receive those same books for all time. Um, surely not, surely not, is my humble opinion on that one. So we're going to be looking text by text, thinking about what's the merits, what's the not so merits, um, what's the not so good things about those texts as well. Which one should just be binned all together? I have a few. I have a few I'd, I'd happily bin. Iron, Iron Man, spoiler alert. <laughs> That would be straight out of there. It is rubbish. It is rubbish. We'll get to that later. All right. But um, yeah, the question is about Cortex today. That's the main topic that we're getting into. We might, depending on how time goes, we might spend some time towards the end of the show talking about traditional tales and some of their interesting origins. Uh, you, you may be shocked to hear the origins of Red, Red Riding Hood, for example, or Cinderella or, you know, Hansel and Gretel. All of these are horrifying, by the way, if you if you find the origins of those stories. So we might get to those this week. That might roll over to next week. Who knows? Like the lottery. It's more exciting if it's a rollover. More wins for everyone. If we spend more time on text this week and traditional tales next week. Who knows? Who knows? Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. I'm Graham Collum. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week, people. My my regular fans, I know Rogers History, Khalil are both in the room. They will be just about drying their eyes, I imagine, from last week's abandonment. I'm sorry. I was at a Star Trek convention. Now, I'm not going to lie. I was wearing Star Trek, a Star Trek officer's outfit. And I'm not sad about it. I'm not. I'm not embarrassed. All right. Yes, I'm a teacher. Yes, I dress up in Star Trek clothes. Um, that was my weekend last weekend, so I'm afraid I was not. I was not on the wonderful airwaves of Teacher Talk Radio. But here we are back again to talk about the world, um, the world, and the the way it is now um, on Teachers Talk Radio. How are all of you guys doing? I hope you're all doing great. Khalil says, "Be proud of your geek." I absolutely am, my friend. I absolutely am. Own it, own it every time. Talking about being a geek, it's a good time to be a geek these days. Um, loads of movies coming out. I can't even keep up with them these days. New Ghostbusters is out. I watched the original last night in preparation for it, and I have to say, I am pumped. It looks amazing. Everyone's saying it's brilliant. I still haven't seen the new Venom. Still haven't seen Eternals. Still haven't seen the new Bond. But they're out at least. At least there's these media 
is increasing and the world is filling up with things to do and things to observe and take in and that's that's good spider-man trailer was out in the week again on the topic of geekiness very exciting times look if you're if you've seen any of the older spider-man films and i'm going back to toby Maguire and andrew garfield you need to see the trailer for the new one and get excited because it's it's a very exciting time less than a month till that comes out this is teachers talk radio in case you're wondering why are we talking about marvel movies largely and um star trek Yes, with this is Teacher Talk Radio, we talk about the things that matter to teachers. And you know what? To some of you, it may well be Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, Bond, Ghostbusters, you name it. Um, and so I'm just I'm just setting out my shop as we go. The main topic today, though, is about core texts in school. The texts that we, we, someone, I can't say we, someone's decided are a healthy diet for young learners, are a necessary diet, perhaps an essential diet for young learners. And actually, that's one of the ones I'm a, I really want to flip on its head today. I was, some of these books, in inverted commas, classics, some of them are classics, I'll give them that. And there are merits in many of them, of course. But when it comes to classics, why do we insist that the younger children should be taken on the classics, right? Like, like Treasure Island, um, which is full of really, really old vocabulary and really hard for kids to engage with. Or Tom's Midnight Garden, again, largely about, you know, very, very outdated language. The context of the plot and the twist is really not that amazing unless you understand the context in which it was released. Unless you realize that, that it was the first thing of its time to kind of do a kind of time shift twist thing, then you're not going to appreciate it. So why are we saying to young children who aren't really contextually aware, why, why is it them who have to go through these? Should it be older literary students who are looking for a deeper appreciation of storytelling and the history of storytelling? They should be taking on the classic text. Young children should be engaged. They should be having fun with stories, seeing about how stories set their mind alight, surely. So why are we insisting that the young, the fresh, the ones who are deciding what books are for them, why are those the ones that get the dull as rocks, <laughs> dull as rocks, tomes, um, you know, banged on their desk? Right. This is what intelligent people read. No, it isn't. Nobody, <laughs> nobody reads the Iron Man and enjoys it. I'm sorry. I don't. It's rubbish. It's a really, really bad book. We get into it. We get into it. I will justify all my thoughts. That is particularly one that I'm not a fan of, though. So listen, if you want to defend the Iron Man, this is the place to do it. This is the good thing about Teachers Talk Radio is when I come after your favorite story and you're like, how dare you, Graham? How dare you do that? You can hit that round gray icon on the Podbean app and you can you can set up with me and just we can talk it out. We can talk it out. So Teachers Talk Radio is all about. It's an interactive station. You can drop comments throughout the show. Um, you can call in to agree or challenge the ideas. You could also call in, which I'm, I'm hoping you might throughout the show. You can also call in to drop in your ideas for what would make better texts. And I, the word texts is surprisingly hard to pronounce when you're self-aware on the radio. Texts. All right. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm also well open to things like picture books at all kinds of different ages. I'm well open to um to modern books of course um and i just i think you know traditional tales all good kids books actually you know you could study a kids book in year six or year seven or year eight or year nine and still get loads from it because it's about the the process that goes into it what we what's the lesson to learn how does it help kids sensory stuff whatever there's so much to take 
from stories that kids can engage with and understand straight away. Why? Why Tom's Midnight Garden? Why the Iron Man? Alas, alas, it's all kinds of stuff. Let's talk a little bit of current issues at the moment. Um, COVID is, you know, I'm over it. Please go away, COVID, please. We were doing so well. I actually have my my booster jab today. I have a, a 5 p.m. today, a booster jab, So, um, which seems quite early. I'm surprised I'm having it this soon because... Um, I didn't realize I was particularly vulnerable. Sure enough, we all have our we all have our aches and pains, but I didn't think I'd be front of the line. Um, but I'm getting a booster jab today. Obviously, Austria have announced they are having a lockdown. Austria isn't that far away. They are having a lockdown. But I, I believe from listening to LBC and general opinions of, of people um, that they were pretty lax on things like masks and things like that. But haven't we been as well in the UK? <laughs> I don't see many masks up in Tesco these days. I don't see many masks... Anyway, um, that much these days. So uh, that's not great, is it? Germany is fearing their next lockdown because they neighbour Austria and they think the fallout from Austria is going to come into them, um, even though they think that they, they're saying they have been careful and all the rest. Um, I don't think the blame game helps very much. Do you think we might go again? Is there a risk? Could it, My wife says not in a million years. Not in a million years will there be another lockdown. But I remember before January last year, saying the same thing about September or like October, November, being like, nah, we're not going to do another one. That's crazy. I couldn't handle that. Couldn't go back to that. And I remember thinking it was laughable. Lo behold, January, we were in it again. Are we going through it again? What's your thoughts? Drop in the comments on the Podbean app. Do you think a lockdown, a third national lockdown is in any realm of possibility for the UK? Is it possible? I'm hoping not, because I'm just about on on board with the world right now. I'm just about back to, all right. Funnily, I feel like just this week, I had my observation earlier in the week, and it was done, and I'm just glad it's done. And there was a feeling of relief and like, right. I felt like normality was here. I felt like, right, now that that's out of the way, a kind of a calmness came over me. I'm kind of knowing my class well enough where we are in school felt all good and normal. Some normal things have come back in that were kind of ruled out for the last couple of years. And I was thinking, right, we're on track, guys. We can relax. And on that note, I was driving home on the Friday and I heard an LBC about Austria's lockdown. So what do you think? Is it likely that we're going to have another lockdown? Do you think it is likely? Do you think it's because we've been too flippant with it over here? Would you say the government haven't promoted a clear enough message on how flippant or how serious we should be taking it at this point? Have you been checking the numbers? Um, do they concern you? I wonder what your thoughts are. Of course, being teachers, um, it does. it's particularly relevant for us um, at these times because we see those statistics every day in our classrooms, don't we? Um, I don't know what the one in, I know it was one in 50 a while ago, people had COVID, but Funnily, in my wife's class, she has three kids off at the moment with COVID. I have two kids off. So you're looking at one in 15, statistically, from our very small pool of data. Um, but it seems like quite a number. It seems like the numbers are rising up. And um, yeah, what do you think? What do you think? Lockdown likely? Or do you think we're just going to keep calm and carry on? Which is the phrase I absolutely hate. <laughs> More than anything, that is one of the worst phrases. I'll, I'll do a different show on phrases that should be obliterated. Um, that would be front of the line, though. COVID lockdown in Austria, Germany worrying about following suit. Do you think we will or do you think we're going to avoid it? Do you think we should avoid it or do you think we should be open to it? I don't know. Let me know what you think. Maybe you just are sick of hearing about it and you just want to move on 
talk about core texts which should be obliterated from the curriculum i'm up for it guys i'm up for it um so it's a funny mix at the moment isn't it it's a funny mix in the world um what do you think of compulsory vaccines that's the thing that austria have also introduced compulsory vaccines so you must have the vaccine tricky isn't it tricky i don't know i i honestly like i being someone who has no issue with it I think, fine, great, yes, health, we all need to be healthy and look after the nation and great, yes, we should be vaccinated. It's easy to say that, though. Um, when it comes to choice, I kind of feel like people should have the choice to be stupid. I think that's kind of about, you know, and I don't like to say, I don't want to be like one of these um, fools who kind of walks themselves into the fire. But I feel like if you take away someone's choice to make a stupid decision, then it does, you do go into a bit of a dodgy territory of when we talk about free choice and all of that. So compulsory, I think, is a bit of a strong word to stick to a vaccine. But what do you think? Do you think it's necessary? Otherwise, we're just going to keep doing this, going round and round every year, having lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. You know, the cost of lockdowns is huge, isn't it? Um, on mental health and on, on fire and, you know, literally the economy of the country and um, people's jobs and people's welfare, families. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about. I don't intend to talk about it loads today, but I thought I'd give you a little chance to drop in your comments if you wanted to get into that conversation today. Um, because, of course, this is Teachers Talk Radio, where you can talk live and interact with me on the air um, on the show. So, yes, I'm Graham Collum. If you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Graham Collum VO. And this station that you're listening to is Teachers Talk Radio, which you may have heard being mentioned in the six o'clock BBC News last week. What? Yes, it's true. It's true. It was on the six o'clock news. Um, Tom Rogers was on there talking about um, the, you know, on, on TikTok, there's been teachers targeted and um, what can I say, abused, mistreated, um, mocked on on TikTok. Tom Rogers, who is the lead of Teachers Talk Radio and the developer of Teachers Talk Radio, the director of Teachers Talk Radio. Um, he has some first-hand experience, unfortunately, of that. And so he was talking about that experience on the Six Spot BBC News. And as a little trail out, they referenced Teachers Talk Radio. So surely now we've made the big time, lads. Come on. We are here. Where's my boat? Where's my boat? <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to sail. I'm going to do a live broadcast from my boat. Um, until then, you're getting my covered under the stairs. Um, good to see Khalil and Seema in the in the room and Tom Rogers as well. Lovely to have you all here. Yes, um, Teachers Talk Radio is a live interactive platform for teachers and people connected to schools. And hey, if you're not a teacher, you can sit on. We've all been in a school. We've all been taught at some point in our lives. So hop on board. Khalil says, I've had paparazzi at my door, to be fair. Fellow host Khalil, he's on straight after me at 1, 1 p.m. He's been hassled by paparazzi, of course. He um, can't go anywhere with mopeds chasing him and cameras. Not surprised. Seema says, I'm waiting for my yacht. Yes, indeed. Yes, yes, yes. It's exciting times for all. I'm just pumped that we're on BBC News, for real. I, I You know, Tom Rogers, you know, maybe shave next time. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, you did yourself proud. You did yourself proud. It was awesome, awesome, and truly, it was great. It was great to um to see us on on the airs there, and and to see you know I think you you did an important thing talking about um that TikTok situation, which I you know I would have brought more light to last week perhaps if if I was here on the airs. Um, alas, just another point of pride for Teach Talk Radio on Twitter. We're getting up to a huge number of followers. I, I'm worried I'm going to misstate it, but I think we're getting up to ten thousand. 
we're getting close to 10,000 followers. If I had 10,000 physical followers, I would be like a religious leader, right? <laughs> I don't, Tom, that's not saying you're a religious leader. Step down, son. All right. But um, it's something to think about. Something I'm honored. I'm honored um, that to be attached to this this vehicle of, of wondrousness that is Teachers Talk Radio. And, and, you know, it's nice. It's nice to be here. It's a privilege. So um, let's, let's think about getting into the main topic, shall we? Um, if you've just tuned in or if you've only tuned in in the last few moments, we are talking about core texts. Hey, that word text. Should I use core books? All right. <laughs> core books. I think we're going to go with today. Um, the books in school that people are that it's kind of been universally agreed. This is the diet of reading that is good for young people. Um, I've been a teacher now for 11 years and I've read a lot of these books with a lot of different classes. And for some of them, I think my experience with the books suggests, you know, the thing is for me as a teacher, and I always say this at the start of the year with classes, when we talk about reading books and picking reading books, when you're an adult, you, if you read as an adult, which not everyone does, but if you read as an adult, you read because you love reading for pleasure. You don't read to tick a box. You don't read to please another adult or please another person in your life. You read because you love the book because you have an adventure in the book. You love for your mind to escape or to find out what's happening with these characters. You read for pleasure. And I just think that the core text at the moment for kids in school doesn't convey that message. I don't think it makes it clear that reading is for fun. I think reader, young people learn that reading is a chore. Reading is something you do to please your teacher. Reading is something related to school. Reading is a job. And then at some point, hopefully, when they're maybe in their teens, late teens, maybe young adulthood, they stumble upon a book and go, oh my God, this one's really enjoyable. This one actually sets my mind alight. I can't put the, the book down. I just want to turn the pages and see what happens. It's like, why are they not discovering that in primary school? That's really the, the reason I've, co I've come to this topic today is that I think that too many kids, a great number of children, um, understand reading to be a job of primary school and a chore and a box to be ticked rather than something that we all do for fun because it energizes our mind and it, it's, it's engaging. It's something that we choose to do the same as I choose to watch a movie or play a video game. I love to read certain books. I love to read certain authors and see what they come out with. Um, but all the authors I choose to read and all the things that I love to see and do with books, um, you know, aren't kind of in those core texts. We have these core texts that I think aren't conveying that message. I think that's so important. Uh, and so that's why today I'm choosing to analyze, critique, review some of the core texts that are in the primary school curriculum. And I welcome you to join in and tell me what books did you read when you were in school? Did you love them? Did you hate them? Do you think they're good for young learners? Do you think they're a waste of time? Did they put you off reading or did they grip you? I'm going to, you're going to think I'm a heathen today. I need to get that open the door. You're going to think I'm ignorant, over-opinionated, oaf, inelegant, and judgmental, right? Maybe true, but I plead with you to listen on with an open mind, all right? Keep your ears open. Um, consider not only the problems, but solutions to these texts in schools. I know that you're going to think, how dare this guy criticize Alice in Wonderland? Because you've been conditioned like the rest of us to just think, oh, Alice in Wonderland, it's probably brilliant because I've heard it so many times and there's the Disney version and we all love the Mad Hatter and isn't it wild and jaunty and wonderful? It's nonsense. All right. The Jabberwocky is the worst. 
Have you read the Jabberwocky? Look, I have the Jabberwocky here. I'm going to read it to you. You tell me this is the kind of engaging, amazing text we need to be sharing with young people in the world today. Jabberwocky. Here we go. Lewis Carroll, classic author, number one, British lead, you know, supposed to be held up. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. That's right, wabe. All mimsy were the borough groves, and the mome raths outgrabe. I'm just going to let that one go. He rhymed wabe with outgrabe. All right. The category of fiction that this falls into is literary nonsense. Okay. I know the merit in nonsense poetry. I get the idea of you can make up words and you get the whole vibe. And maybe you take two words that exist, put them together to make a word that doesn't exist. Like, um, like where, where's this? There's one or two words in here I quite like. Galumphing right, combines galloping and triumphantly. So you triumphantly gallop, you galumph. Thanks, Lewis Carroll. Is this a priority? <laughs> Is this really the best we can do with our kids in school? That was only the first little, what do you call them, verse of, of this poem. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird. Just in case the jabberwock wasn't enough for you. Beware the jubjub bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch. <sighs> Let me know what you think. If you want to defend it, please do. Because I get I get the merit in nonsense language, but I think sometimes we've gotten a bit too into this kind of stuff. Don't tell me that this man was not on drugs when he made this. <laughs> Twas brillig. Oh. In uffish thought he stood with eyes aflame, came whiffling through the tulgy wood. Why not just use some actual descriptive words? The thing is also, the problem with things like the Jabberwocky is um, if, if a child goes, you know what, I'm so inspired by the Jabberwocky, in my next piece of writing, I'm going to make up a bunch of words. We tell them they can't do it. So what are we even teaching them? <laughs> make up some words. It's great to combine words that exist to make them up, but don't ever use them in any work in school, ever. Okay, because that's it, isn't it? We all we all think we're jaunty, talking about the Jabberwock and making up words for a week in school, but nothing sticks. Nothing, there's nothing meaningful that comes from it. I don't think we unlock some great creativity because we tell them about the Jubjub bird. Oh, it doesn't exist. You just make it up in your mind, kids. Great, we've now taught you to be creative. Nonsense, nonsense. And it also starts a trend with Alice in Wonderland. It starts a trend of just really dull main characters. I don't want to sound like woke about it, but middle-class white English um, or British main, you know, protagonists, like that should be changing these days. We should be looking for more text. There's so many great texts. And yes, schools are starting to pull them in. They're starting to, you know, have some in their reading areas, but core texts should be shifting too. And this is the thing. Let's look at some of these core texts we're going to be talking about and talk about the, the main characters and the protagonists that we're saying to kids, these are the characters who are the center of it, right? These are the characters who are the main people. In Ted Hughes' Iron Man, there's Hogarth. He's a white American boy. In I Was a Rat, um, I forget what the name of the person is, but it's a little rat, basically, who, who's in a human form. What's the form? When you see the image on the cover, what's the form of that human? It's a white male. Okay, Cinderella, 
white female. Five, um, let's have a little look. Tom's Midnight Garden, white male, and a couple of other white males, and a white female in there. Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, white female. Narnia, bunch of middle-class white kids in Britain. There's so many, every single book. And look, I'm not, I'm not one for all the, you know, I'll hear the criticism. If you're there rolling your eyes and you're saying, oh, this woke culture, these teachers just don't, you know, they, they want everything to be woke. Well, give me some sense of balance. And, and also, if you're criticizing um, that list of protagonists for me being woke, whatever, I could almost guarantee you're probably a white male. Um, come at me, people. Come at me. All right. This is interactive. Teachers Talk Radio. I would love to hear from you or your opinions. Um, Ella's in the room. Seema's in the room. Rogers is in the room. S-R-I-B-D-T-G-Z is in the room. Perhaps you love um, Lewis Carroll and you would like to call in and defend the nonsense poetry um, of the Jabberwocky from Lewis Carroll. If you would like to do that, then I strongly, strongly encourage you to drop comments in the comment section on the Podbean app or hit the round grey icon, call in and tell me what you think of the of some of these texts. Um, my opening opening gambit on those is that there's a problem with the protagonists in these stories and actually most characters in these stories because it's just centred around the, the white British experience. Um, largely male, but thank you, thankfully not entirely um, male. But there we go. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. The lines are open. So justify and argue with me if these texts are worth saving. That is your job today, because I'm going to say a lot of them may not be. All right, we're going to do it. Let's open the door to the Iron Man. Many people will know it as the Iron Giant, because the animated movie came out and called it the Iron Giant, so that it was not to be mixed up with Tony Stark's Iron Man from the Marvel movies. The Iron Man, um, written by Ted Hughes, who's a poet laureate. Um, what do you think of it? Do you love it? I, funnily, the reason this um, show has come about is that earlier in the week, somebody put a tweet out. Um, I'll see if I can refer to them later on in the show. Basically saying, this text is no good. I can't be the only one that thinks it. And I taught it every year in, when, when I taught year four for a couple of years. And um, and I just wanted to say to him, no, you're not the only one who thinks it. It really is the worst. Um, it's really poorly written. You know, it, it in terms of tone, uh, it has a couple of kind of messages that, that can be seen as a little bit profound and a couple of meaningful ideas that are in it, which is basically about how bad humans can be. You know, they, they basically reject the Iron Man. Long story short, um, if you're worried about spoilers, sorry, these books are like 50 years old at least, so... It's on you, okay? Um, on the Iron Man, so Ted Hughes, he writes about a robot comes up, humans reject him, they're like, oh, he's the worst, he's really big and scary, we don't like him, we'll bury him, all right? So they bury him. Um, and Hogarth, he's, he's a white American boy, he kind of helps to bury him, or helps kind of wrap up that, that part of the book. Um, he feels a little bit bad. Then in spring, the Iron Man comes up from being buried. Um, you just wait till spring, don't worry about it. He comes up and he goes about the world. And then basically there's a, he befriends Hogarth, but they kind of have a, have a secret friendship going on. And then, and this is when it goes really bad. And this is when I realized it was a rubbish book. A giant monster comes from the sun, which I'm not, this isn't me poorly remembering something. I'm going to quote it for you, what the name of the beast is. Does anybody know what the name of the beast is? Because if I would love for you to quote the name of this beast, because it's the most awful bit of writing um you can imagine the name that ted hughes 
gave this beast that he thought this is going to be the antagonist. This is going to be the bad guy of the book. It's going to be a real threat to the world. What will I call him? Space bat angel dragon hyphenated. Space hyphen bat hyphen angel hyphen dragon. That's the name of the bad guy. And every time they refer to him, let me give you a little bit, um, a little bit of the text. The newspapers papers spoke about nothing else. Aircraft flew near this space bat angel dragon, taking photographs. It lay over Australia, higher than any mountains, higher than the Hindu Kush in Asia, and its head alone was the size of Italy. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense. Um, here's a different part. The space bat angel dragon was speaking. It wanted to be fed, and what it wanted to eat was dash living things people animals forests it didn't care which so long as the food was alive and so it goes on and every time they refer to it they call it the space bat angel dragon that's poor writing it's poor <laughs> space bat angel dragon you just it's it's as bad as as the jabberwocky it's just nonsense to confuse the reader the size of it is completely confusing they say it lands on australia its head is the size of italy but then by the end of it it's going to eat the planet it's going to eat earth if things go wrong the entirety of earth well listen i know australia is big but if my head's the size of italy you're not getting that mouth around the planet which doesn't make any sense um listen lewis carroll and ted hughes we have to address the elephant in the room with those two in particular and actually, there's kind of a, I, I'd forgotten, I have a bit of a spiel on Lewis Carroll and Ted Hughes. Um, hopefully we're all grown-ups in the room. It's Teachers Talk Radio, so the hope is that you're, you're somewhat related to the teaching profession and are not, not very, very young. Lewis Carroll and Ted Hughes are clearly on drugs when they write these things. <laughs> they are, all right? They must be on drugs when they're writing these things. Um, I'm going to come back to that. I've got a bit of a spiel to go on on the problem that goes with kind of holding those up as wonderful texts. Wow, these are great authors, even though, uh, you know, there's not really much justification for it. They're these amazing authors and we have to all accept that they're brilliant because we've been told since we were babies, they're brilliant, they're brilliant, they're brilliant. Everyone says the classic, so we can't question it. But really, they're drugged up, <laughs> old white guys. And it, I think it's conditioning us, right? I'm, I'm doing it now, I'm going into it. For politics, I <laughs> think... I know, I know people are going to be raging and switching off at this, right? But hey, this is my hour and a half, so I'm doing it. What do we do when we get older? We all accept Boris Johnson's probably doing a good job. Michael Gove's probably doing a good job. Maybe I could assume, possibly incorrectly, that they are running off the same coattails of the Lewis Carroll, Ted Hughes, enforced like... This is these people are brilliant. Don't question it. Just accept that these, you know, there's no reason to accept. It. There's no evidence that they're brilliant, but everyone's telling you they're brilliant. So you just got to accept it. Let's see. Khalil says in the comments, this is bringing back memories from the pits of my cortex. I was convinced I didn't read that book, but I definitely did. Awful. And to think that kids are being given that and being told by their by so many teachers automatically, it's like brilliant. You know, they're being told, oh, this is a classic. You're going to love this, kids. And then they read it. They're like, what? Space Pat Angel Dragon eating the earth? This is rubbish. Yeah. And we're going, this is one of the best books around, kids. I bet you can't wait to read more when you're older. You read about the giant Space Pat Angel Dragon. 
All right, all right. Listen, it's we've been on for half an hour. Let's have a little break for the news. I'm coming after a lot of books. Look, what I'm going to say now, I'm going to tell you the books I'm coming after. And if you want to defend some, then do. To be fair, there are some that I enjoy, but I still think there are problems with them. So, for example, Narnia. I love Narnia. I think it's great. But there are problems with it, and it's not the best book in the universe. I also have books that I would recommend be added to Cortex because they do far more than any of these books. Um, anyway, here's the ones I'm, I'm mentioning today, so you can prep your arguments. Hello, um, Stallhammer Eric. Good to have you here. The Iron Man, um, well, I've started on already. I Was a Rat by Philip Pullman. Um, Firework Maker's Daughter by Philip Pullman. Anything by Michael Morpurgo, apart from maybe Warhorse. Tom's Midnight Garden, anything by Lewis Carroll. Narnia, I think we'll mention, but like I say, I do love it, but that's just my personal taste. I don't think it needs to be a cortex in schools. Um, let's see what other ones we could mention. That seems to be the most of them. That seems to be the most of them. Um, I do have other ones to mention, but for now, if you like Michael Morpurgo, Philip Pullman's like cortex books, The Iron Man, um, Tom's Midnight Garden, Lewis Carroll or Narnia. Stay tuned and I want to hear from you. For now, we're going to have a news break. We're going to have an ad break and then we'll come back to, um, to the incinerator of books in a moment. Here we go. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In a Unison press release issued on their website, union leaders celebrate the inclusion of all education staff in the new Department for Education Wellbeing Charter. The relaunched charter issued this week now includes support staff, following union pressure for it to be more inclusive. Previous incarnations of the charter focused entirely on teachers and school leaders, but left out almost 50% of school staff, including teaching assistants, caretakers and catering staff. Unison recognised the move to include all union staff as a positive one, and Lee Powell, Unison's National Officer for Schools, said we look forward to working with schools and colleges to promote the mental well-being of all staff. In Scotland, plans to help reduce teacher workload by reducing teachers' weekly class contact time by 90 minutes have been described as challenging by Scottish Education Secretary Shirley-Ann Somerville. Ms Somerville said in a report on the TES website that she can't give a definite timescale, although she promised that it would still happen. The plan to reduce contact time by an hour and a half a week was one of the most eye-catching promises made in the SNP manifesto for parliamentary elections in May. According to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, contact time is disproportionately high in Scotland and is a major cause for concern for teachers and school leaders. Workload increases caused by a range of factors associated with the pandemic are also featured in a piece on the TES website. An article by James O'Malley highlights the issues schools face in recruiting supply teachers to cover for absent staff. The article cites Department for Education data for early November, which showed that 2.1% of teachers and school leaders were absent for COVID-related reasons. The article also highlights that with winter approaching, other seasonal illnesses are also causing absence. Schools are increasingly finding the usual pool of supply teachers is not as deep as it once was, and that the cost of supply is not something schools can now easily afford. Solutions which many schools are having to put in place to manage staffing shortages include combining classes, having senior leaders take lessons, and drawing up plans that could see entire year groups being sent home in an emergency situation. 
Undoubtedly, the situation is challenging and is yet another contributing factor in the increasing stresses and pressures faced by school leaders and those working in schools. Finally, Lincolnshire Live reports that in a bid to promote well-being, the University of Lincoln held a dog de-stress event on Wednesday. The event was organised by Lucy Robertson, a third-year medical student for the Medical Society. And the feedback included comments that the therapy of petting dogs seems to have worked. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Live from London, this is the Sunday Brunch with Graham Collin on Teachers Talk Radio. The Jabberwocky. Rubbish. Alice in Wonderland. It has some merits, but a lot of rubbish. Ted Hughes's The Iron Man. Definitely rubbish. Core texts could improve a lot. They could improve a lot. Call in to let me know what text you think we should be reading. How should we be choosing them? Let's improve reading in these schools. Live from London, this is the Sunday Brunch with Graham Collin on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Carrying on with my um, with my attack on the Iron Man, because I know people, it's one of these ones, people hold it in a special place sometimes. They're like, oh, it's so great. Mainly because they enjoyed the animation. And that's what I've noticed with a lot of them. And funnily enough, guess what doesn't make it into the animation? The Space Bat Angel Dragon. All right. <laughs> Which is clear. He'd, 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 he'd smoked too much that day. He did. And he should have revised it. He should have come back the next day and gone over his notes and gone, get rid of it. This is nonsense. But he, he was clearly on a heavy, heavy hitting weekend and just ran with a space about Angel Dragon. He's a poet laureate. That's the other thing is a lot of these held up texts are by poet laureates, laureates, you know, classic, um, you know, writers. So it seems like you can't really challenge them because they have these titles to them. And I get that. I get that these titles mean something and they, they reflect something about these people's careers. But funnily, in the week just passed or two weeks ago in class, we were studying Benjamin Zephaniah as a poet, performance poet, um, and, you know, legend that he is. And that his kind of whole thing, when he started out in early 80s, when he was he was going from rapping in Birmingham and, and performing poems on the streets of Birmingham, and he moved to London to get heard by more people, the whole thing that was motivating him as he was going out was that he didn't want poetry and writing to just be this elitist academic kind of highbrow, oh, you know, we 
people determining what quality is from this high precipice. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, and more's the merit to Benjamin Zephaniah's poetry and, and ideas, how awesome it is. Kids loved it in the last week. Totally, again, from a kind of identity point of view, the kids in this class are getting a lot more from it. They're understanding a lot more of the world and a lot more of current issues and the world around them than they are reading the Jabberwocky, <laughs> which is literary nonsense. That's not me. That's not me being harsh. That's the that's the actual classification of what it is. And that's supposed to be part of the merit of it. Oh, he made up words. He made up words by combining words that exist. So clever. That's the most you can do. Can you not do more? Can you not find a text that does more than make up words about made up monsters? Come on. <laughs> the thing is, the text that we've been reading lately, we've had, thanks to COVID, COVID has been an opportunity for schools in many ways. And one of them has been that you've had a bit more free reign to read certain texts or have more class reading time where you read to the class. So they get to enjoy the reading rather than it always being a guided reading text or reading comprehension, yada, yada. Um, and from that, we've read a few different types of texts. We've been reading The Boy at the Back of the Class um, by, let me have a little look, I did write down, it's by Anne Julie Rauf, I, I think. Let me just double check that so I don't get the name wrong. Um, oh, sorry, losing my place in my notes. I don't want to mis misquote the, um, the writer because that would, of course, be very ridiculous. I can't see it in my notes annoyingly, but I'm pretty sure it's Anjuli Rauf, um, R-A-U-F is the surname, is the writer of The Boy at the Back of the Class. It's set in the modern day. It's about a child who comes to live in a school. Well, it's set about five, six years ago, actually, I think 2000. And during the time when there was a, there was the refugee movement from Syria and it, the child who joins this other child's class is a refugee from Syria. And so the kind of story is from the first first person perspective of the child in the class gaining an understanding of this um of the child and their background appreciating who they are emotionally engaging with that situation in the world now the amount you get from this text is huge okay not only do you understand the the kind of surface level of the refugee situation and you get children reading it and a class reading it can get an understanding and question and investigate what it means to be a refugee and actually not just the kind of buzzwords you hear in the news you get a deeper understanding of the situation they come from okay that's on the surface then below that you also have the dynamics of a classroom where you have bullies and you have the kids who get on and you have the teachers as well it's quite a nice kind of view of a British classroom where there are some teachers who are kind of friendlier, some who aren't so friendly. And all of that is quite fun. It is a bit of a comedy. The narrator um, is also also seems to ha take a very literal. I don't know, you know whether they're supposed to have a certain view of things, but they're definitely from the narrator's view of events. There's, they definitely regularly take a highly literal um, view of things. So whether that's supposed to kind of have a little bit of an autistic edge to it or something else, um, there's definitely something going on there in the text. And then, spoiler alert if you haven't read it, right at the end, you realise the narrator the whole time is a female. And it didn't state it the whole time in the book. Because it's first person, there's never been a need to reference the gender of the narrator. But it challenges that too. And you go, dang. I've assumed this was a boy the whole time and there's no reason for that. And so that's not even to do with the refugee problem. It's not even to do with international relations or all that stuff, which is the surface level. And that's interesting enough. But the merit in all of these different things, the element of a twist like that, that affects the reader, right? A twist that doesn't just go, shock, that's an unexpected character, but it goes to the reader. You expected that was a male. 
how do you feel about yourself now? <laughs> you know, that's great. That's really good writing. It's also from a writer who isn't an old white guy who's probably on drugs, right? Because that's what a lot of these classic texts are supposed to be. Um, I would also talk about the fact that a lot of classic texts, which are classic, there are many that I, I do love. For example, Treasure Island would be one. Um, Tosman Night Garden, I can understand the merit in it. I can understand that when it came out, it had a twist that was really amazing at the time. But I mentioned it earlier on the show. I just want to mention it again now that there's a few more people in the room. The thing is, classic texts, I believe, should not be read by young people. Or they could, if they want to, of course they can. But I mean, in terms of curriculum placement, Treasure Island and Thompson Midnight Garden and all these texts that we want to say are classics and, wow, there's so much to appreciate. Surely they should be read by older people who can firstly access the language with greater ease, secondly, appreciate the context of their release much better than young people. Young people, I think we should be focusing on engaging them, giving them books that they they just desperate to turn the page and find out what happens next. You know, the ones where you end a chapter and they go, oh, you go, sorry, guys, we'll come back to it tomorrow. Those are the books we need. And there's so many. And um, Boy in the Back of the Class is one of those. There's a ton of them. I'll get to more as we go on. Um, but there's loads. There's loads of books that are real page turns and they work on so many levels. And yet we go with the Iron Man, right, which is it does have a message of that humans can be, you know, humans can, are very destructive and that humans will sometimes use people when they need them and then not when they don't. I get that that message is there. But my problem is it just doesn't seem to do more than that. Like just me rattling off boy in the back of the class for the last couple of minutes. I found like four different ways it works, four different ways it kind of can affect a reader, four different messages it has to affect us and make us go, wow, that's interesting. That's something I might not have thought of before. It brings up discussion in the class. It makes kids think outside themselves and understand a greater context beyond themselves. And then we go, oh, but then there's the Iron Man. And, you know, humans can be bad. Thanks, Iron Man. Take your space bat angel dragon and get out of here. <laughs> Sit on the shelf of Waterstones and just see, you know what, if we all stop saying it's brilliant, let's just leave it and see if people decide now that it still is brilliant. Will, will someone pick it up and be like, oh man, that space bat angel dragon, that was wild. That was such a good book. I just don't, there's, you know what I've found with a lot of the cortex that we read, I just find like it can be a bit of a slog with some kids because because the language is hard to access. So then every time we read a couple of lines, we have to talk about, well, what does that word mean? You know, in Tom's Midnight Garden, for example, it's a, it's supposed to be a classic. I get that it has certain classical elements to it. I also get that, like I said, contextually, when it was released, it would have had a high impact on the readers because kind of time travel, twist ending kind of stories will have been less common. And so it would have been a lot more fresh when it was released. But why are we forcing year sixes through it? You know, like year sixes never, when I ended a chapter on Tom's Midnight Garden, they'd never be like, oh, what happens next? You know, maybe at the start when he when he first travels back in time and it's like, okay, he's got this kind of funky thing where he goes through a door, it's gone back in time, and then he goes to the door and it's not. And that's kind of interesting at the start. But as it goes on, you know, and in terms of, again, like in terms of how much these books are doing for kids, like what else is that doing for re for readers? Okay, they're learning about loads of different trees because as he's running around the garden, it says, oh, there was a yew tree and then there was a willow tree and then there were goslings and a goose and a gander. So we're talking about like, you know, some natural kind of elements. But every time you come across those, you have to go, do you guys know what a gander is? And you get a sea of blank faces. You're like, well, all right, well, it's, you know what a goose is? And, it's, and off you go. And you're losing them. 
And I think, well, you know, Tom's been like, God, and you could sell it to some year 10s or 11s and be like, guys, you know, think about when this was released. There'd never been a time travel story. There'd never been a twist ending like this. That's really cool. And maybe some would appreciate it. But I just think forcing it down the throats of young people and saying, this is what good quality books are. I think you're really at risk of mis-selling what reading is. And I think so many kids come out of school going, reading's rubbish. Because we just spent the whole half term reading Tom's Midnight Garden. And it was dull. And the twist wasn't even that surprising. Half of them guessed the twist before you get there. Then we read Ted Hughes's The Iron Man. And there was a big space bat angel dragon that tried to eat the earth. And you know what the, the, the big thing is at the end of The Iron Man as well? When it's... It's so the the whole clever thing at the end when Ted Hughes clearly on some kind of chemical induced weekend has um you know he he the whole clever thing is the space bat angel dragon and the iron man they decide to have like a heat off and this is the peak of drama in the story the iron man says right if you can withstand the heat of the sun as much as i can then you can eat the earth and the space bat angel dragon of course would say that's fine i will try and withstand the heat of the sun the same as you iron man and then they um so then they go close to the sun and apparently apparently iron doesn't melt when it's close to the sun that's what ted hughes decided the iron doesn't melt so the space bat angel dragon is getting burned up he's having a bad time the iron man however is coming back fine and he's going ha ha i'm made of iron therefore i won't ever melt <laughs> Which, you know, I, I think even even that's poor science. Whatever way you look at it, it's not going well. And uh, let's see, Cherry Pancake, who looks like the wonderful co-host, Jane Manzone, um, is dropping in. On Charlie Ro Rofe is the author of The Boy at the Back of the Class. You are right. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, sorry if I mispronounced it. Am I? You know, but even so, like, good that I should have to think about my pronunciation of different authors because there are authors all over the world. And the thing is also, as you get older, you realize it's not, you know, although I haven't really released a book, I'm not criticizing people who've written books. I know that that is challenging. But, you know, in terms of the, uh, you know, older people in the world, you know, like releasing a book, a lot of people can release a book. As long as you can twist the arm of a publisher, um, you can get a book on the shelves. Finding the ones that do more or are more, have more quality in them. And I do think we need to talk about re representation. We need to talk about representation in these books that, I know I'm not I'm no kind of woke teacher who's going to always be going on for, you know, trying to get every different denominator and category into a book. But we can certainly do better than Narnia. I love Narnia. I think it's great. I love Narnia very much personally, and I like reading it. I also love The Magician's Nephew and the whole series of books, particularly those two, because I think they tie in in a really cool and clever way. But in terms of representation, I think, you know, to cross over with a World War II topic, sure, fair enough. Um, but it does kind of reinforce the idea that, you know, white British middle class kids going on adventures. Oh, OK. Tom's Midnight Garden. Let's read that one next. It's a white middle class kid going on an adventure. Oh, OK. Let's read Alice in Wonderland. It's a white middle class kid going on an adventure. All right. All right. I, I'm starting to see a pattern here. And you know what? If I'm not a white middle class kid who wants to go on an adventure, <laughs> I'm not being accounted for. And I just kind of get. I'm getting deprived in class and thinking I'm getting kind of repressed in some ways and going, right, well, are there any books for me? And if I get out of year six and I haven't had um, representation like that in these books, then, um, you know, then what's my view of reading going to be? Am I going to be really energized to hop to Waterstones and find the next inspiring book? There are so many great books. Super Frog Saves Tokyo. 
by Haruki Murakami. Get that into year six. Love it. It's so weird and wonderful. And it's got cultural, culturally vastly different from, from anything you find on this hemisphere. Um, and it wouldn't get a look in because, you know, oh, who knows? Who knows? Um, let's see. Cherry Pancake says, this is why the CLPE are wonderful. I'd love to hear more about that. Check out the power of reading recommendations. Um, Oh, this is, all sounds very interesting, Jane. I feel like, you know, if you want to call in, you can drop in some kind of recommendations here. Um, but I agree. And my own school, we brought in a bunch of these other books that I hope to reference soon in the show that are kind of like better, more progressive alternatives. But um, I do, you know, I, I certainly want to spend some time talking about the problem with the status quo at the moment. Catherine has dropped in a big comment here. Let's see. Frank Cottrell Boyce, in my opinion, has written really engaging books for children for a classic type for a classic type book, I read Beowulf by Robert Nye with Year Three to link to their history work. It was quite scary for some, though. I agree with your praise, boy at the back of boy at the back of the class. Carolyn Lawrence's Roman history is great for getting children engaged. The Voices series of books are really good and accessible, and represents all of us. Thing is, there are those books, aren't there, that do loads of these things all at once. Um, and so, again, that's why I think it's kind of relevant to have this conversation. Can we also talk about picture books? I think that's really important. We've we kind of had a bit of a scheme where we brought in a bunch of picture books that are so deep and they have such interesting messages. I've done them with year six, I've done them with year five, year six, year four. They love them because there's so much you can get from them. One of them is about a crayon. Get this right. Prepare yourselves. This is going to blow your mind. You're going to love this. It's called Red, the story of, of Crayon or something like that. Um, let me, uh, I've written all this stuff. It's called Red, a Crayon Story. And it's about a red crayon that's in a blue jacket or a blue crayon that's in a red jacket. And so everyone te is telling the crayon, you're red. You should be drawing red things. And he tries to draw a, a fire engine, but it comes out blue. They say it's rubbish. And he tries to draw something else that's supposed to be red and he can't, it's rubbish. He tries to do something, something else that's red and he, it doesn't, it comes out blue, it's rubbish. And so basically it's about identity. And he's got this, he doesn't fit in. He's not what people expect him to be or she or, you know, however you want to view the crayon in this story. But how profound is that? I did that with the class of year sixes and there was so much to talk about, about identity and feeling about how you fit in or what people expect from you. And they were talking about their mums and dads might want them to be certain things, but what if they aren't those certain things? And what about sexuality? And what about, like, that's great. That's a story about a crayon. It's a million times better than the space bat angel dragon of the Iron Man. Um, the Boy in the Girl's Bathroom by Louis Sakar is, um, it's, set, it's an American school setting, but it's essentially about it really analyzes the idea of bullies and bullying and where it comes from and modifying behavior and labeling people. What makes someone a bully and what makes someone else a good guy? So much to talk about. We got a call coming in. I think it's from Jane. Let's see. I've, hopefully she'll be coming on the line now. Hello, Jane. Is that you? It is. Can you hear me, though? Because I've got um, yeah. like Bluetooth earphones. No, you sound great. You sound super, super clear. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, because I have to use the plug-in ones when I'm doing my show, but this is obviously on my mobile, so... It's always always a nervous moment. Yeah, I, I was just beginning to tell you what the power of reading was, actually. Oh, please do. Go ahead. Yeah, well, the CLPE, um, the Centre for Literacy and Primary Education in Waterloo, where I do New Voices, um, they run... Uh, it's a charity, a children's charity for um, 
reading and and they're fantastic and they have um key texts they have core texts and then they have texts that they have schemes of work to go with and they're all brilliant and obviously the the team there are all literacy specialists and they read every single book that comes out and they've got a lot of diverse texts on there and they also have like recommendations for for how to teach or approach teaching um with them at the center of your um, your curriculum. So yeah, I just wanted to plug them really because um, if you you don't have time to necessarily read every single book that comes out, but they're they're phenomenal. Um, the texts they that's have always, on there. So yeah, that's always uh, what I the found. Tower is one for year four, and Edward Tulane, the boy at the back of the class. They've definitely got that one on there. I think they yeah. might have Boy Everywhere on there now, but they, mm. they're always updating. But they they introduce me to new books all the time. So I just wanted to plug them really. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it's one of the thing is, it is you do need those people in the school, I think, the ones or in this organization who read loads. And that's the thing, like all of the good developments in our school um, that, I, that I work in have always come from the kind of big readers. And because they read so much, they're, they're looking for interesting texts. They find these ones that basically challenge expectations that, you know, involve maybe disabilities or different representations and interesting new authors. And, you know, we don't all have the time to find those, but they are out there and kids are so much more engaged by them. Don't you don't you find? Um, yeah, I mean, I was listening to you uh, <laughs> saying that you didn't like Tom's Midnight Garden very much. And it's funny, you're right. It doesn't necessarily engage every child in the class. I love it. Mm-hmm. I don't use it much anymore. Um, so, yeah, it was. I, I was feeling kind of on the fence about that because I think yeah. it's a phenomenal book. But you are quite right. It It doesn't grab them, the ganders and everything. But things like The Wolves of Willoughby Chase, Mm. like I do love the classics, um, that one does grab them. And that's got really archaic sort of, you know, I don't know if you've read There is a place for it. The thing is, and and um, I don't challenge like the idea that Times Midnight Garden is like, it can be a good book for the right audience. And like I say, if you you have a class that are a bit old and you can talk about the context of its release and how it impacted the world at that time and, and how it reflects society at that time and you know there's a lot to get in get into it even how the building has changed in its purpose from being a big house for one family to then being split up into flats there's all kinds of things you can pull from it definitely but i just think primary school kind of saying to kids this is a great quality book and it's just you know it's a slog for a lot of these kids i think some of them are i mean Mm. there's a boy in the girl's bathroom you mentioned that is my number one killer book for any year five class probably year six as well um but i always use it in year five it never fails to grab them they absolutely love that book every single class i've ever used it with um Mm. so there are sort of stone cold winners skellig is another one always gets them um but yeah some something like tom's midnight garden is a little bit inaccessible but the things like wolves willoughby chase is equally complex it's Mm. set in a sort of alternate victorian universe where there are wolves that are marauding um the the countryside and yeah it, it's it's odd and then there's like kind of they get sent to an orphanage but the kids love it so um i think you just got to write, find the right text but definitely you know look at the power of reading and the new stuff that comes out all the time because there yeah. are some that that you just get overlooked because of things like the iron man i guess yeah that is an awesome (laughs) awesome recommendation yeah let's not go into the iron man again um yeah that's great great recommendation thanks so much for for dropping that in it's lovely to hear from you i hope you're doing well you're enjoying your weekend i am yeah cheerio bye bye awesome cheers then bye bye bye
Right, we are just coming up to news time and um, time to and time to listen to a little bit of a word from our sponsors before we move on. One thing I'd like to drop in, this was something, as I was thinking more and more on these books that I wasn't a big fan of, and I was thinking, why am I not a big fan of them? I know that people do love many of them. I came across this idea, and the only way I can sum it up is that they're vanilla books. It seems like we're afraid of really emotionally engaging kids, you know, really challenging their thoughts and really going, oh, you know, that's a difficult bit of a plot to stomach. You know, are we afraid of the controversy that might come up in class if we read books like Boy at the Back of the Class, or if we read books that really kind of set their interest? Maybe they'll debate about them. Maybe they'll feel really different things about different characters in the book. And we seem to be a bit afraid of, of them. I Was a Rat by Philip Pullman. No emotional engagement whatsoever. That is a book that basically takes the story of Cinderella. And rather than focusing on Cinderella, they they take the um, one of the rats that turns into a page boy or whatever the rat turns into, a little helper. Um, and he gets lost and it's the adventure that he goes on, right? It's a nice book. It's cute. It's fine. Um, it, it's It's clear enough. But there's no emotional engagement. There's nothing that really, we're never like on the edge of our, oh my God, like, you know, it doesn't challenge us as readers in any sense. And I think that, that's inevitably what we love in books. As we get older, what we look for in books, many of us at least, is to really be emotionally engaged and challenged by a book and really be, make it, sometimes books have this ability to reflect on us and make us reflect on our own lives and ourselves and how we see things. And, you know, like the Iron Man is never going to do that. Um, I Was a Rat is never going to do that. Alice in Wonderland, maybe some could argue it, but I would say again, very little emotional engagement. Um, like I said earlier, the boy at the back class addresses the refugee plea, society's odd reactions to that, real classroom problems kids kids can face, teaches a bit of modern history about the refugees from Syria, and there's a lot of references to newspaper headlines and things that were happening at that time. It's very much placed in a certain place of time. Um, it teaches a bit of modern history, challenges gender expectations on the reader. There's another book called The Closest Thing to Flying, which is about the um, the Society for the Protection of Birds in Britain. Um, or the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, which is essentially the start of the suffragettes movement. And it's about women trying to to represent themselves, and stand up for themselves in a society that doesn't really um, want them to. And people's difficulty trying to get their voices heard and their families not agreeing with them and younger people either following or not following um, those those leaders. Um, closest thing to flying, it's called. It teaches us, us a bit of history, a bit about women's rights in history. It relates to the modern day because it has a parallel story in the modern day where somebody's discovering and going through their own problems as somebody, again, somebody who's not a white middle class British person struggling through living in Britain. Um, so it relates to modern day struggles and context. Kids understanding of challenging context of their classmates and other young young people it challenges so us on so many levels and it's so engaging on so many levels. There's real danger for characters in those stories. And we worry about when, when I read The Closest Thing to Flying, you really care, like, please, this person, I want them to end up in a good place because there's so much going against them. And it's that kind of tension. It seems like we're afraid of bringing into class because we have all these these classics, but they're so vanilla in so many ways. They're so plain. Um, I love vanilla though, to be fair. I'm not, I'm not, don't want to do vanilla a disservice. Love vanilla ice cream, um, especially Hagen does. But anyway, um, Tom's Midnight Garden, again, I say, doesn't emotionally engage, um, doesn't have incredibly high stakes. Um, it's plot devices and language are outdated. We've talked about that a little bit already. Um, 
so maybe we're afraid maybe we're afraid of of really challenging and you know and that, and i know those conversations happen when we come across these new texts people go oh i don't know what will parents say oh will it seem a bit woke or oh, i think we need to be braver i think sometimes we need we need to at least try one amongst all the others try a little bit of a different one Try a little bit of different representation. Try a little bit of challenging, emotionally engaging stuff. Because that's the stuff when the kids go, man, I love it. I have a kid in my class right now. And I, I seem to be doing this book a bit over the top now. I have read other books. But he's reading Boy at the Back of the Class along with us as we're reading it as a class. He's never been so engaged. And every day he comes to me, he tells me how many pages he has left, and how many pages he's read. And I tell him, honestly, it's not about the number of pages, mate. Just <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the book. And he's, yeah, 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 yeah loving it. And it's like, that's what you want. He and Up until this point in year six, he just hated reading. He just didn't get that reading could be good for him. He just thought it was a slog. It was a chore. And there's so many kids like that. Um, and then James dropped in a comment. My friend used the knife of never letting go. Oh, great book with year six. That's very challenging. But the swear words put lots, lots of teachers off. Love the knife of never letting go. Would you believe is one of my favorite books in a sense, because it was a gift to me from a kid I used to teach at the end of a year. And I really, he was, he played piano and we had a rock band thing where we, he was part of a rock band club. And I, I'm a massive fan of him. And the last day he's home, he gave me a copy of Knife of Never Letting Go. He said that's his favorite book. And I read it. And basically, it's some interesting things about it. It's first person perspective, but the it's written basically in like a thought stream. So it's very, very unpunctuated. It's very, some of the thoughts totally unclear. And you kind of have to spend a time reading over the sentences to figure out what's really being said highly emotionally engaging as you say jane absolutely it's part of a series as well which is kind of fun when you finish a book which they love and you go there's two more books which you can choose to read if you like and um, last year we, we, we read the clockwork crow which um funnily um jane similar to another book you referenced you said it was like in a in a different version of victorian britain that's the same as the clockwork crow it's like a steampunk kind of victorian britain time and um but again kids loved it it was real modern interesting high stakes intense at, at parts um you know the lots of kind of lo loads of issues we could get into but at the end of it and they all you know generally speaking all loved it at the end of it you can go there's two other books and we talked about looked at the covers of them talked about the titles they were predicting what might happen in the next few books who knows read them if you like leave them if you don't but that's nice that's good for them surely we want them to be feeling that level of engagement rather than just telling them it's a classic it's a classic because my dad said it was a classic. So you have to say it's a classic. Do you know what I mean? Like you decide what the classics are, kids. Read a bunch of them. And if you if you want to, you know, if you get to the age of 17, you decide the knife of never letting go is a classic, then run with it. You know, recommend it. Go with it. Super Frog Saves Tokyo by Haruki Murakami. Brilliant. And mate, I'd love to. I actually did do that with some year sixes one time. And they loved it because it was so different. It wasn't even that it was the greatest quality writing in the world, although it is quite visceral and ugly and interesting and weird. But it's just that it is so different. They're going, wow, that's fresh. It's like nothing I've ever read before. You know, and you really want them to be to be feeling that, don't you? Um, anyway, right, let's have a news. Let's have the break. Um, and then we'll come back. We'll wrap up. Maybe we'll talk about some more picture books. Uh, maybe we'll just carry on as we've as we've gone. Some news and some an ad break, and then we'll be back. We're, we've got another 25, 23 minutes on the air. Um, speak to you in a moment. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In a Unison press release issued on their website, union leaders celebrate the inclusion of all education staff in the new Department for Education Wellbeing Charter. 
The relaunched charter issued this week now includes support staff, following union pressure for it to be more inclusive. Previous incarnations of the charter focused entirely on teachers and school leaders, but left out almost 50% of school staff, including teaching assistants, caretakers and catering staff. Unison recognised the move to include all union staff as a positive one, and Lee Powell, Unison's National Officer for Schools, said we look forward to working with schools and colleges to promote the mental well-being of all staff. In Scotland, plans to help reduce teacher workload by reducing teachers' weekly class contact time by 90 minutes have been described as challenging by Scottish Education Secretary Shirley-Ann Somerville. Ms Somerville said in a report on the TES website that she can't give a definite timescale, although she promised that it would still happen. The plan to reduce contact time by an hour and a half a week was one of the most eye-catching promises made in the SNP manifesto for parliamentary elections in May. According to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, contact time is disproportionately high in Scotland and is a major cause for concern for teachers and school leaders. Workload increases caused by a range of factors associated with the pandemic are also featured in a piece on the TES website. An article by James O'Malley highlights the issues schools face in recruiting supply teachers to cover for absent staff. The article cites Department for Education data for early November, which showed that 2.1% of teachers and school leaders were absent for COVID-related reasons. The article also highlights that with winter approaching, other seasonal illnesses are also causing absence. Schools are increasingly finding the usual pool of supply teachers is not as deep as it once was, and that the cost of supply is not something schools can now easily afford. Solutions which many schools are having to put in place to manage staffing shortages include combining classes, having senior leaders take lessons, and drawing up plans that could see entire year groups being sent home in an emergency situation. Undoubtedly, the situation is challenging and is yet another contributing factor in the increasing stresses and pressures faced by school leaders and those working in schools. Finally, Lincolnshire Live reports that in a bid to promote well-being, the University of Lincoln held a dog de-stress event on Wednesday. The event was organised by Lucy Robertson, a third-year medical student for the Medical Society. And the feedback included comments that the therapy of petting dogs seems to have worked. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. 
Yes, indeed, indeed. Let me just get my levels here. Um, right, we are heading into the last 20 minutes of the show, not even the last 20 minutes. Hope you can all hear, hear me loud and clear. You're listening to Teachers Talk Radio, and I am Graham Collum, and this is the Sunday Brunch. You might be listening back on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Podbean. Um, if you are, thank you, thank you for listening back. I wonder how you feel about all of the things we're talking about today. If you have books you would recommend as better progressive books, which have been mentioned, some have been mentioned so far, for example, The Knife of Never Letting Go, for example, The Boy in the Girl's Bathroom or Boy at the Back of the Class, which are unrelated, by the way. Um, perhaps the, what was the other one I mentioned? The Closest Thing to Flying would be another one I would recommend. Um, books that are a bit fresher, that are going to interest people a little bit more. Please do feel free to reference them on the show. Drop them in comments or catch me on Twitter at Graham Colin VO and you can, you can reference them that way. And I'd love to have my mind open to the many, many, many more books that are interesting um, and engaging for young people and going to give them that love of reading. That is surely the main point of teaching reading and getting reading in class. It's not about just forcing them to accept that old white guys from many years ago are great writers and just, you know, don't question it. Surely it's before they did, they decide that they need to love reading. They need to enjoy reading. Um, and I guess that's really the point. It's not to say that they're not classics. I know that many of them are classics and they should be held up in that way. But I just think we might be pitching the wrong audience. For example, another book that I love, for example, would be The Hobbit. I love The Hobbit. I love Lord of the Rings. They're absolutely my favorite books of all and um, because of the age I was when I read them and how much I immersed myself in the universe. Silmarillion, just loved it, loved it, loved it. However, um, that had to come from me. That's something that I, I wouldn't recommend that in primary schools for young people because if you don't understand the language and if you're not loving it from the outset and you're not kind of motivated to read on, then it could be dull as rocks, you know, and I would understand that. I'd still say it's a classic, of course, but should it be forcibly read to young people, you know, under the age of 11? Nah, I don't think so. I think I think sometimes classics, you need to be a bit older to fully appreciate them. Maybe that's controversial. You let me know. This is interactive on Teachers Talk Radio, so you can drop comments in the Podbean app, as many of you have, and thank you for your lovely comments. Or you can call in and let me know your views live on the air, and we can, we can argue it out if you like. Here's one I'm going to come over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack from the outset, and this one might might trigger a few of you. Just in general, I'm just going to go for Michael Morpurgo. <laughs> All right, Michael Morpurgo. I'm going to leave Warhorse because I understand that is that is the classic. That is the one which, you know, is supposed to be brilliant and everything. But, you know, I Googled him yesterday. He's written over 120 books. And that doesn't surprise me because on my own reading shelf in my class, we have about 10 or so. Um, and then next door, they have a different 10 or 12. And it's just like, he clearly is just banging out books. Like, I don't think quality was his concern. He's another laureate, I think. Let me just double check. He is, he's a laureate. Um, you know, where I said earlier, Ted Hughes is a poet laureate, Michael Moore, Moore, Moore Pergo is as well. But with 120 books, quality, quantity, can we, can we maybe argue this? I just think sometimes you see him and you're like, he just seems to just pluck out random things. I think he knows He's got contracts with schools. He's got certain things he's pegging for. And also, he knows once he's got his name down and people are interested in my, you know, like some kids, you know, certain kids in class will pick up a Michael Morpurgo book because they think their teacher is going to go, oh, you're reading Michael Morpurgo. Well done. And it's like, eh, this is like, you know, the 75th book he read, he wrote. 
And I just think, you know, it's it, it's not that great. Let's see, there's comments comments here from Leanne and Cherry Pancake. Um, I tried The Hobbit with year five many years ago, didn't work. I also tried that, funny enough, Jane. Um, I tried that when I started for a couple of years. I tried it and I found it just didn't work. You know, the, the language and the sentence structures were just too convoluted and uh, challenging. And I'd end up trying to explain stuff and trying to kind of forcibly get them on the Tolkien train. And they were just like, you know it wasn't generated from them so why am i trying to force it and i guess that's that's the message of this whole show leanne says i did the bfg and alice in wonderland for gcse english nice leanne and um, i think that's exactly the right place for them i think they should be in gcse english i think they should be being read alongside shakespeare and those the texts that you have to understand the context you have to analyze and look deeply into to really appreciate what's special in them i don't think primary school is the place for them um jane says she doesn't like michael morpurgo's books me too man me too i'm not sure who came to the decision of the bfg why the whales came is a snooze fest yeah that's another one that people just like assume it's brilliant because it's oh it's michael morpurgo uh, i agree i agree i agree jane glad to have a, a kindred spirit in the room rose blanche was fab for year six and the lost words for poetry yeah i've always enjoyed kind of a bit of a silly one really but there's a book called i don't like poetry and it's a bit it's poems it's always i found a lot of kids enjoy that though you know as you'd expect the ones who don't like poetry quite get a kick out of the freedom of it and it kind of opens their eyes to what poems can be so that's quite a fun one as well so michael morpurgo he can get in the bin <laughs> philip pullman now i'm not going to talk about his dark materials i think those are those can be great if you read them in a certain way again certain age when you're ready for them when you're interested that's all good but i was a rat can get in the bin um what's the other one firework maker's daughter Philip Pullman. Now, the thing is, Firework Maker's Daughter, I like that, firstly, it's not middle-class white protagonist, which is great, but it strikes me now, You can maybe I'm wrong, okay, I might be wrong, but I've read it with my year fours a couple of years in a row, and I did enjoy it, and kids kind of enjoyed it too, it, it didn't blow their minds, nobody was emotionally engaged and desperate to find out what happened next, but they, they enjoyed it enough, it was fine, but for me, and I've spoken to other teachers in my school who, who've agreed, so you tell me what you think, it seems like he's kind of, he saw an, he, I think he's writing a little bit sometimes for schools. And he thinks if I can get, a, 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 if I can write a book that schools are going to buy, I'm going to make a ton because I'm going to be selling them in sets of 30 every time. And it's like, right. So he's gone for a different culture. He's gone from a, you know, it's very vanilla, very PG, um, you know, all just kind of safe writing, nothing really that emotionally gave. There's a few tokenistic references to the Indonesian culture, which is totally unconvincing. A reference to a tuk-tuk at one point. I'm like, what what, what time setting is this? It's like myths, but then it's modern day and there's pirates and there's, ugh, it's just, you know, there, there's far better books written by Indonesian people that are about the Indonesian culture, which are going to be far more engaging and the kids will enjoy more because they know they're getting a real deal and the teacher can know they're selling the real deal. Um, let's have a little look. Amazing discussion about stanzaic formation with year six. Oh, that must have been in reference to um, some previous work. Uh, lost words for poetry. Yes. Um, this is booklove.com is a really useful website to look for books which are truly diverse. Ah, this is booklove.com is getting a little promotion in there. Um, sounds good to me. Includes authors not always getting attention, which is so important. Suggest looking at B-A-M-E-E-D -E -E network website for more resources. Resources. Firework Maker's Daughter, great for narrative writing, says Jane. Yes, it does have some merits. It does have some merits. And it's certainly, that's not one you're going to read with older kids. It, it's kind of fine for year four. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it's brilliant. I think it's it's fine. 
Um, Northern Lights, one of the best books ever written. I can accept that, absolutely. Again, don't think it should be kind of read as a core text in year six or anything like that, but I do think it's great. Um, I think it's one of those books, again, when you discover it, you'll, you'll love it. Graveyard book, by the way, best book ever. All right, nice, 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 nice. I hope I'm being clear with my stance here. I, I, I'm aware I'm at risk of seeming really heathenistic, like I'm just saying they're all rubbish. Really not saying that, um, but just saying... I think we need to look at primary school books in a new light. For example, so I said I would talk about picture books. And I mentioned earlier, read a crayon story, which was really tackles the idea of identity and other people's expectations of what they put on you and how you step up to it. There's another book called The Day the Crayons Quit. It's a picture book. They're not all about crayons, but I like these two in particular. Um, and it's quite nice. I actually snapshot a few pictures from the day the crayons quit because I thought it was quite funny. Um, there's loads to get into it. Again, it's not just a single purpose text. Like I said, with some of these classics in inverted commas, um, they kind of do a couple of things. Whereas the day the crayons quit, it challenges what's normal um, because it challenges the way we color things in in our artwork. It's persuasive writing because people are persuading the reader to use their crayons in different ways. The general setup of the day the crayons quit, it's letters from the crayons to the kid using the crayons saying, for example, Black is saying, you're always using me for outlines, but you never use me to color things in. Could you not color in a beach ball with black every now and again? Um, and there's things like that. And so there's a bit of persuasive writing, a bit of formal writing. There's about there's some empathy to think about, about how other people feel, even if they're doing the job they're supposed to do um, and challenges what we see as normal, especially artistically when it comes to coloring in. Let me see if I can read you an excerpt from the day the crayons quit. This is from Green Crayon. Dear Duncan, as Green Crayon, I'm writing for two reasons. One is to say that I like my workload of crocodiles, trees, dinosaurs, and frogs. I have no problems and wish to congratulate you on a very successful Colouring Things Green career so far. So that's fun, man. Like, kids will love this stuff, no matter what age. Year six will love it. The second reason I write is for my friends, Yellow Crayon and Orange Crayon, who are no longer speaking to each other. Both crayons feel they should be the colour of the sun. Please settle this soon because they're driving the rest of us crazy in capitals. Your happy friend, Green Crayon. That's cute, right? That's cute. Kids will love that. They engage with it and they'll want to see what happens next. They want to write their own letters from Green Crayon or their own what happens next in the situation. Here's one from Black Crayon. I couldn't help but read another one. Hi, Duncan. I hate being used to draw the outline of things. Things that are coloured in by other colours, all of which think they're brighter than me. It's not fair in capitals. When you use me to draw a nice beach ball and then fill in all the colours of the ball with all the other crayons, how about a black beach ball sometime? Is that too much to ask? Your friend, Black Crayon. I love it. I think that's so creative and unusual. You could write about other objects that have opinions on how they're used, challenge how we use certain objects. It's great, 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 great. Um, let's have a little look. Catherine says, not sure if you mentioned Roald Dahl. I haven't mentioned Roald Dahl. I was considering it just now. While while I was playing the news, I was thinking, I hadn't thought about Roald Dahl, but I kind of could. I could. We could. So I'll think about it. Let's see. Catherine says, I, but I liked some of his books when I was a child, but I really am getting fed up with the continued focus on him. I dislike the, the Walliams books. I think there are many more interesting books to read. I agree. And funnily on Twitter, let me just pull up my Twitter feed for a moment. Jason W, who was the original inspiration for this show when he criticized the Iron, the Iron Man, um, he says also Walliams, just with the exception of Boy in the Dress, I cheerfully burn the rest of his, out, his output. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people are not fans of Walliams. Thing is, Walliams and Roald Dahl, for some kids, they'll love those. 
but they don't always inspire a greater love of reading. They don't have much depth to them. They don't really, although they are a bit of a page turner and people go, okay, and they'll dress up in the silly outfits when it's reading day or whatever, um, you know, world book day. But I don't think they really, they go beyond. I think that there's a risk with books like those, with Roald Dahl and Williams. And I do see merit, certainly Roald Dahl, I do like like them. But the risk is, is that children will think that's all you get from reading. You get a bit of a laugh. Oh, that's funny. And then you move on. Whether they'll really get the kind of, you know, that reading should really set you alight. They should really engage you and keep you thinking on it. Once you close the book, you're still thinking about it. And I don't know if when you close the twits, 